0: Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings. Woohoo! We are, um, yeah, I took a nice little break and uh, my husband had some vacation time and we had a nice little, had a nice little vacation. And, uh, I'm back, so we are reading Harp Song for a Radical, The Life and Times of Eugene Victor Depps by Marguerite Young. Uh they have chron chronology here and it's only a couple pages, so I'm gonna go ahead and um and read through it because I don't know. Like I don't know. I don't know a whole lot. One, two, three, four. Yeah, the chapter one's like four pages. The chapters do seem to be pretty pretty um either reasonable or short. Yeah. Like, that's like one page, like, I'm, um, I'm at like p- page 50 something. It's like, the, pa- the chapters are one page. Huh. It's all right. But uh, this first chapter is a little bit longer. So, chronology. Uh, in 1855, Eugene Victor Debs was born on November 5th, 1855, in Terre Haute, Indiana. His parents, Jean Daniel Debs and Marguerite Marie or Daisy Betrich, came from Colmar and Als. Alce- Oh, Alsace, Alsace, i uh, Alsace say uh, France. Anyways, they're from France. Um, his father names him after two favorite authors, the novelist Eugene Sue and the poet Victor Hugo, both social reformers. Eugene is the third of six children. So like Eugene didn't stand a chance. Like his dad <laughs> named him. Uh, he's the third one of six kids. He finally had his way and said, you know what? I'm naming this kid after all these, you know. Social reformers from Rio-French. Yeah, he didn't stand a chance. Born after Marie-Marguerite and Louise and followed by Eugenie. I don't know how to say that. Eugenia or Eugenie? Emma and Theodore. So it looks like there were two boys and four girls. 1861, the Civil War begins. Deb's father educates him in the ideals of the French Revolution and passes on a love of the Enlightenment and the French and German Romantic writers. 1869, at the age of 14, Deb starts working in a railroad shop in Terre Haute and eventually becomes a locomotive fireman, continues readings with his father. 1875, Debs elected secretary of Vigo Lodge, a newly formed local branch of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen, and devotes himself to building up the Union. You have to remember, the United States has one of the bloodiest union labor uh, union histories there is. Um... 1880, elected National Secretary of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen. Becomes editor of the Locomotive Firemen's Magazine. He is laid off during the Depression and looks for work in St. Louis. 1879-83, to City Clerk of Terre Haute. 1885-87, member of the Indiana Legislature. 1885, marries Kate Metzel in Terre Haute on June 9th. 1893. President of the American Railway Union, which he founds when the various railroad craft unions refused to unite to realize his goal of federation for mutual benefit. 1894. Successful strike against the Great Northern Railroad. 1895. May through September. Sentenced six months in jail for contempt of a federal injunction to halt the Chicago Pullman Palace Car Company strike. His imprisonment destroys the American Railway Union. During his prison term, his broad reading includes Karl Marx and Victor Hugo. A close-up view of prison conditions reveals to him that labor issues are not separable from social issues, which makes him critical of capitalism and introduces him to socialism. And we have right now, as I'm reading this, we're having the writer's strike, um, an actor strike going on right now. So, yeah. 1896 campaigns for William Jennings Bryan for the presidency. 1898, Debs establishes the Socialist Party of America to further the cause of labor. The name is legally adopted in 1901. 1900, Debs is socialist is the Socialist Party's presidential candidate, winning 96,000 votes. 1904 is Socialist Le- Party's presidential ca- as the I don't know why I was missing the as the Socialist Party's Presidential candidate Debs wins 400,000 votes. 1905 Debs founds the IWW Industrial Workers of the World but eventually withdraws because it becomes too radical. Members are popularly known as Wobblies. 1908 The Socialist Party's presidential can As the Socialist Party's presidential candidate, Debs receives 400,000 votes. I hate that the has left out. <coughs> or A, it could be A. 1912, as the Socialist Party candidate for the presidency, Debs doubles his votes to over 800,000. 1916, Debs refuses his party's nomination. 1918, Debs is sentenced to 10 years in prison for his opposition to Woodrow Wilson's policy of U.S. entry into World War I and for his criticism of the government's persecution of conscientious objectors who have been charged with sedition in violation of the 1917 Espionage Act during the trial he makes the famous speech your honor years ago i recognized my kinship with all living things and i made up my mind that i was not one bit better than the meanest of the earth i said then i say now that while there is a lower class i am in it while there is a criminal element i am of it while there is a soul in prison i am not free major political and intellectual figures around the world from george bernard shaw to lenin plead for his release 1920. Runs for presidency. While an inmate in the Atlanta penitentiary receiving a unanimous vote of prisoners as well as his highest number of popular votes, 915,006% of the total votes. 1921. Massive demonstration for amnesty for prisoners of conscience. President Warren Harding releases Debs from prison. He is in broken health. He does not regain his citizenship, which was abrogated when he was convicted of sedition. 1922, Debs becomes editor of the Socialist Weekly, American Appeal. Debs separates the Socialist Party from the Communist Party. 1926, dies on October 20th in Elmhurst, Illinois. His best-known writing are a pamphlet, Unionism and Socialism, and his book, Walls and Bars, published in 1927. 1976, Debs' citizenship is restored. Part 1, Prelude in a Golden Key. Chapter 1. Twice in his life, Eugene Victor Debs took the long leap to the ultima fool of prison. Pass me on the realm of the acceptable and the non-acceptable, from respectability into the criminal community of the monster who was an enemy to the people. Twice on his way to the socialist state that should have its genesis in the utopia, which this world should be when it was transformed from the present irrational to the rational state, by man's brotherhood to man in a universal sense, and without limit of creative possibilities, here upon this earth and not upon some other star beyond time, beyond space. Debs was cast into a prison cell by those who had on their side the pomp and power and glory of immediate circumstance. Twice a prisoner repudiated by the great plutocrats, who were like the toad dreaming of being the largest toad in the world, large in all the other toads combined, he who had had no inherent instinct for martyrdom had welcomed this fate of incarceration by the masters of rails and iron and steel and lead and coal and coke and oil, whose desire was to stamp down the least evidence of the independence of the human spirit. He would come to the apparent end of his career as a visionary labor-agitator and an eclectic socialist, as much subjected to reproach as if he were a fiend, this able who would be branded Cain by the murderers of workingmen, by the ravagers ravagers of their widows children and old mothers and fathers if there were any who had survived the the depredations of industrialism in the age of the ever-accelerating machine capitalism was an institution as sacred as if it had been handed down by god to man probably along the time of the eviction of adam and eve and the fencing of the garden of eden Debs went into his career in the twentieth century as a voice of socialist war protest, possibly even of an essential pacifism, crying aloud in the wilderness of war, this world war which was to end all wars forever throughout the world, according to the then-president Woodrow Wilson, who believed that in order to have universal peace, the way must be prepared by universal war, and so threw Debs into the burning ash heap with the dead souls of America. Debs was just one of the jackass socialists who would not keep their mouths shut. He was a man of complex character, but of simple honesty, whose right hand knew what his left hand did. He has been called Debs the unpurchasable by those who knew him best, as by those who did not know him. Few in this nation have elicited so wide, so deep, a love. A socialist of the native grain, he was an American folk hero who, both stalwart and fragile, would outlive in a in moral legend and human consciousness and conscience, all the members of the megalomaniacal power structure who defamed him and would have blasted him to eternity and a step beyond if they could have. But he was a stubborn fellow who took the incalculable risks that many others, including former socialists, avoided for the sake of immediate survival and possibly also for the pecuniary rewards which were given to some of them for upholding the war which was supposed to spread democracy to the rest of the world. According to the Reverend Norman Thomas, who had preached Debs' funeral sermon from the front porch of his home in Terre Haute, Indiana, Debs was one of the world's darlings in the Emerson- Emersonian sense, that is to say, the transcendental sense. Surely there were many men and women, as well as children, to whom he had been and would remain the saint of an enlightened labor movement, as of that all-inclusive socialism which he piloted through the raging storms of modern industrial wars and which he did not abandon during the World War, as did many others, because they lacked the abiding sense of the true cooperative brotherhood of workers in all countries and all spheres of life and death. They would agree with Norman Thomas's evaluation that nothing constituted so blank a page in American history as President Wilson's failure to intervene in behalf of the many conscientious objectors who were thrown into prison under the Espionage Act. The absolute vindictiveness of President Wilson's treatment of conscientious objectors, including those who, often dwelling apart from the world, usually under the leadership of some bearded patriarchs, and refused to answer the call of the greater power, who was not God, had baffled not only Norman Thomas, but many apologists for wood-headed Woody Wilson. The conscience was was not corporate, but was individual, and no state had the right to ask a man to cede his conscience to it as to a higher power also pacifists and war objectors were not, who were not members of religious bodies had the right to express themselves even as did any lone individual it had seemed to norman thomas and to others in many walks of life that those who had disputed the rigid wilson's paradoxical and often self-contradictory justification of the war had sinned against the holy ghost or possibly it was as if by his harshness toward them wilson could silence his secret lingering doubts